Big Weed here. Today we review an IPA and discuss the Unabomber. Hello and welcome to Beer and Conversation with Pigweed and Crow Hill. Good evening, Crow Hill. Good evening, Pigweed. What's on your mind? I, I am I am really getting annoyed at the woke super ego in Chat GPT. Ah. If you ask ChatGPT a bunch of questions, and I actually use it regularly, right? And if you ask it a question about a, a controversial topic, yeah, it will lecture you and give you all this. But remember that blah blah blah. And some people say, and it'll, it'll give you all this hedging language. It's just really annoying. I just want to get an answer to my question. I don't want to be lectured by some woke computer. Fair enough. <laughs> and that's that's what you get. And if you ask it about, you know, uh, where is Venus or something like that, it's not going to give you any. But if you ask yeah. it anything remotely controversial, it's going to give you. And here's the thing. Why does it think that by giving me this hectoring, lecturing tone, it's somehow going to make some difference in the way I use the information? Hmm. Yeah. You know, it's just it's really annoying, but it shows that. Whoever programmed the thing programmed some sort of a, a woke superego on top of the large language model. It's very, mm. it's, it's interesting and annoying at the same time. So whenever you run into it. Oh, well, when we were looking up Ted Kaczynski. Ah, Ted Kaczynski. Yeah, yes. looking up the Unabomber and asking questions about the Unabomber. And just left and right could not avoid saying, remember that the Unabomber was a violent boy and his ideas are not blah, blah, blah. It's like, yes, yes, I know that. I'm just trying to understand. You know, yeah. and at one point I just said, I'm getting kind of sick of your uh, woke lecturing and hectoring. And I said, well, I'm sorry, but I'm trying to. Uh... <laughs> <Wild guy? laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes. it's it's actually it's amusing, but it's also incredibly annoying. All right. Yeah. All right. Well, I hope this is not annoying. We I have... hope not, because uh, this is coming to the end. Please. Yeah. Lord, help me. If I drink any more non-alcoholic beers. <laughs> okay. This is Omission Brewing Bright-Eyed IPA. Hoppy and bright. All right. Well, so let's, let's, let's so. see if that's true. Well, it looks like, it looks good. Yeah. It looks like looks a real beer. It smells like a real beer. Ooh. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. And I have, I think we discussed last time, mm. I found that mm. beers that are uh, of a multi-style mm -hmm. Fail harder, yeah, in in a non-alcoholic version yes, than hoppy ones do. We'll, we'll, and also, we'll find out about been, that. been like zero. The calories are so low too. I'm going. Well, give me some. I'll take the calories if you're going to give me some flavor. Yeah. So I saw this one. It's an IPA, so I'm looking for hops, and it's at least got I don't know what is it 100 calories, uh, which is seems like nothing except for it's higher than most. Yeah, higher so, than most of the. Uh, oh, that sounds fantastic. Yeah, that, that has a very good hop aroma, hop flavor. All that's good. I'm still getting that the alcohol is missing uh, punch in the nose. Uh, but I would say that that's that is less evident in this beer than some of the others. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm, I'm going to put uh, the hops tend to mask it. Yes, I'm going to put omission. I'm going to move that up my rate. My yeah, it's pretty good. The the NA beer challenge. Yes, I'm moving it up to to towards the top. Yeah, it's pretty good. I, I like it. It's still it still is missing something. Yeah. But it's but it's a good flavor. It's got got the good. Hop, yeah, yeah. Hop I'm hoping to stuff. bring this whole challenge business to a close here soon. But, okay. Uh, Ted Kaczynski. Ted Kaczynski. Yeah. Well, he's Who kind is of, this guy? Well, he 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 died this past summer. Right. So 
think that's how he popped it back up on the radar. Okay, after, yeah. It's kind of wondering why we care about this guy. Yeah, yeah. I was like, well, he came back into the news. Yeah, died. Uh, they, uh, I think he killed himself. But, hmm. but he was, he had been moved from the Supermax to a medical prison. Okay. He was 81 years old. Yeah. So uh, it wasn't like he was, yeah. he couldn't take it anymore. He'd been taken wherever, but we'll, we'll, we'll get on with that. So, uh, born 1942 to Chicago, in Chicago to Polish immigrant parents. Right. And grew up in the suburbs of Chicago. Yeah. Bright young man. Mm-hmm. Very bright. Very bright. Right. Skipped the sixth grade and Skipped two the grades. 11th grade. Yes. And went to Harvard. At 16. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. That just doesn't happen. From, yeah. Happenstance, and he's not, not a dumb kid, right? And it's not because he had, you know, guidance <clears throat> guidance from a family. There's a long history of academics, you know. Right. He, was a, he was a sausage maker and a seamstress or something like yeah, that. Yeah, he, he just he made it because he was bright. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a, it's On the merits, and and not because of his well, uh, that, race or sex or gender well, orientation you know, or any of that kind of in the olden days. Yeah, right. So uh, then he. Uh, Got his, his math major, right? Yes. And went, uh, where did he go? Then he went to get so his master's? At uh, Michigan? Is that right? He yes. got, his, uh, got, his he got his PhD ma- in Michigan. Uh, he got his master's and PhD at Michigan, and then got a teaching position in Berkeley. Okay, right. Not bad. Not bad at all. Yeah, so a very, very smart fellow, but also pretty quirky. I mean, early on, pretty quirky. Pretty quirky. Yeah. And he, he he decided long before he, after getting this job, or before he even got this job, he, he mentioned, he comments later that he couldn't believe that the guy who was hiring thought that he was really going to stick this out. Mm-hmm. He already knew he was getting a job, making some money, and checking out. Mm-hmm. And so uh, by the, what, the late 60s? He bought, the, he bought a piece of land? So he only worked for a couple of years. Did he pay off his education and raise enough money to buy a little shack in Montana? Is that the, that the deal? That's the deal. And then he, at some point, ran out of money and went to work for his brother. His brother's dad had a, what, what was it, some sort of manufacturing plant. Okay. Uh, worked for there briefly, got fired by his own brother. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And... Then, but he had already, but he already had his cabin and his land. In, not, not much of a cabin and not much land. I am severely disappointed. If I'm going to say I'm done with it, yeah, I'm just, but I want to live the simplest life possible. So, yeah. all right, so you, you're already committed to no electricity and no indoor plumbing. All yeah. right, so that's a real commitment there. Yeah. But one acre and a plywood tar paper shack. Ten by twelve. Yeah, it's pretty small. Yeah. I mean, Ben Franklin's studios is, is, is almost as big <laughs> as this know. guy's shack. Yeah. And then and, and, and lived there for, what, 20 years? Yeah. And when you see pictures inside, there, there wasn't a whole lot in there. <laughs> no. There was a bomb-making section yeah. and a bed. <laughs> <laughs> and a bed and a pile of books on the shelf. Yeah. On the shelf. Yeah. So I just, I was like, how much could 10 acres in the middle of, Mon- in, outside a town nobody's ever heard of yeah. in Montana... Cost in 1970. Yeah, couldn't have been that much. <laughs> right. Yeah. So you had ten acres and a, a one-room, twenty by twenty-foot, solid 
cabin. Yeah, so get, he didn't get the general that. to go out there and build one of those metal structures for you or something. <laughs> <I know. laughs> Why? Okay, I get it. Be you know, you want to live a rustic life, but geez. I guess maybe he. I mean, it's, it's Montana may, for cut's sake. Yeah, may, maybe he was economizing so that he could live the rest of his life on you know. I don't know well, what he ate. Would he eat beans and rice for the rest of his life? Well, or something? I don't know. I mean, he he trapped in free water and everything. So I mean, apparently he lived on a couple hundred dollars a year. Okay. Wow. I don't know, you still got to pay even even that little piece of dirt is going to cost you some. Some taxes, Some are, kind of taxes are. Are there? I don't know if there's property taxes in Montana, but yeah. So he had a pretty, pretty weird quirky life. <laughs> anyway, in in the process, he uh, decided he he hated technology. Yeah, technology itself. But, but in, industri industrialization, yeah. industrialization of civilization. And not not so much technology as the 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 societal adoption of the industrial revolution and, and technology and all that i i don't i don't really get this sense that he's like necessarily anti-technology but rather that the uh the effect of technological society he he thought was a was a bad thing i mean, maybe i didn't get that right quite well, right but yeah. because i mean he used technology he built bombs yeah you know? well that's to get us Back to free technology. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, so, all right. So let's 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 just get through the nuts and bolts here, and mm -hmm. then we'll talk about the whys and hows. Yeah. So his span of crimes was from 1978 to 1995. But there was a big gap in there. He did about five years where he didn't nobody was where nobody died. Right. But uh, in the end, or, or bombed because most nobody died anyway. Three mm -hmm. killed and 23 injured. Yeah. Over all this Not time. Not the most successful bomber. No, but I don't know how you, you know, pre-internet, how you learn, I don't yeah. know, kind of, he made small bombs and made better bombs. And he got better over time. Well, because and and as he did you, some very clever things. As you can see, out of his three deaths, his two of them were his last two victims. Yeah. So he's just he figured got, he it got, out. He got better at it over time. One of the things he did that I thought was kind of interesting was he made his own nails. You know, a lot of bombs use nails as the projectiles, right. right? Rather than buying nails from the hardware store, which maybe somehow could have been traced back to a hardware store, he made his own nails huh. to put in his bombs. Right. So just to get an idea of who his, of who his uh, targets were, uh, he had a president of, of the airline. So that's how he got the Unabomber name. First, he, the, his first kills were univer people from universities and airlines. Okay. And he... he Bombed a plane that just created minor damage and nobody, nobody was killed. It didn't bring the plane down. Right. So, so anyway, we've got a uh, university secretary, engineering professor, psychology professor, computer store owner. And a computer scientist at one point. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, a computer science professor, an advertising executive, a timber industry lobbyist. Wow. The, the advertising caught me off guard at first, but once we talk about it, it's... It makes sense. It's perfectly in line with his philosophy. Okay. Geneticists, computer science. So these are the people that he targeted. Um, he, uh, in 1995, he said he would behave himself if they would publish his manifesto. Yeah, yes, the New York Times and the Washington Post, right? Yes. Yeah. And there was some, apparently some real agonizing yeah, between sure. the editors and the FBI 
about whether or not this was a good move, and a lot of people thought it was a bad move. Right. I remember the debate. I, uh-huh. Because I was I'm in the publishing industry, and I remember yeah. a lot of people talking about mm-hmm. that, whether it's the right thing to do, to, to bow to this kind of pressure right. to publish something. Because in a way, now you're saying... Yes. and because you, by making that, you're, you're affecting, making that decision, you're affecting other people in that industry. Yes, and also, it's, it's kind of like negotiating... Well, it is negotiating <laughs> with terrorists. You know, you're saying... Okay, if if you threaten to kill somebody, we'll sure we'll publish your stuff. Right. So he had one brother, David, that he his only real friend and the only person he kept in contact with. Uh, uh, David and his family, which he didn't like. Mm-hmm. Uh, but somebody read the manifesto who was aware, who knew David. Yeah. And who David apparently shared with her. Well, I think his, it was David's wife who said. Who said, hey, this is this is kind of like Ted. Don't you think this sounds like yeah. Ted? And finally, when he read it with an open mind and got after completely rejecting the idea, mm-hmm. he said, "Wow, you're right." Yeah. It does. And so it turns out. So then, so that, that the publishing of the manifesto, he was caught in the same year. So yeah, that was his downfall. Right. Because, but, and a lot of things about it. Because for one thing, it sounded like him. But then also the manuscript that he sent to both places had been written on a particular typewriter, you know. So there's there's that kind of thing. You yeah. Can trace it back to the typewriter. But there's um, also right. I mean, I would. If, if you're used to getting letters from somebody. Yeah. Just the linguistic. Yeah, the sure. tone, the pattern, yes. the themes. It's like it wouldn't be that hard to go. That Pre- sounds just like my brother. W- words that you're more or less likely to say. Yeah. 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 And but uh, he in the end he 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 thought. When he, when he found out it was his brother, he's like, no way. At first. So, so, so yeah. this would never... Uh, you kind of think, well, gosh, somebody's going to... Your brother's going to recognize your writing. But I, that didn't occur to him, I guess. Yeah. Or, more, or he was just so focused and enamored on the, with the idea of having his manifesto widely read yeah. to bring about the revolution that uh, he wasn't cautious enough. Right. Yeah, and the thing was, he was very cautious up to that point. Uh, right. He didn't, they didn't find fingerprints on his letters, they didn't find DNA on his letters, uh, he was he was very careful. Yeah, he would he got, he'd get on a bus and go hundreds and hundreds of miles to, to mail. To mail then, Right, not, not to leave the package. Yeah. Well, in some cases he did, but in some cases just to mail it so that if it got traced back, it would come back. Yeah, apparently at one point he mailed it from some, like, D&D aficionado or something like that. Dungeons uh-huh. and Dragons aficionado. Uh-huh. And that guy then became a big suspect because, uh-huh. because the package was mailed as if it was from this other guy. Interesting. He, yeah. uh, he also picked up some uh, pubic hairs from a restru- restroom bathroom oh. and glued them in the bomb. Wow. So, oh, it rings. Oh, he found Somebody some, else's he found DNA. some DNA right. evidence. Right. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. That's a pretty good idea. Okay. Yeah, it is a good idea. Uh, so then, he, so he, he, they wanted to... His lawyers wanted to plead some sort of insanity defense to mm-hmm. get him off, and he's like, "You, your guys are missing it, missing the whole point. You would undercut the entire project yeah. by me admitting that I'm that, that I'm, I'm a nut. That right, I'm, yeah. a nut. I'm not a nut. This is this is serious exactly stuff. what I think. Yeah, yeah. Not for not for crazy reasons. So, anyway, they they did not make that defense. But some, I thought the whole point of making that defense was to get him." Off of death row, which he never was. Yeah. So I don't know what. Yeah. Why didn't? Why wasn't he on death was row? It just, I'm not sure. Was it just the confession itself? And they never, it didn't go to trial. Hmm. It was the confession itself that got him there. And anyway, he went to uh, 
<clears throat> he went to Supermax. He went to Florence, Colorado, with uh, with the big boys. And they put him away for good. Where yes, where you can't. It's a it's a six inch by forty two inch window that stares up at the sky. So it's the the surrounding the uh, vista mm -hmm. is gorgeous. Not for these guys. <laughs> all, they, all they see is a piece of blue sky. <laughs> Get a piece yeah. of blue sky. Right. Uh, that's it. 25, 24 hours, uh, 23 hours a day in their cell. And he's got, I was, I was surprised at who some of his roommates were. Okay. Not, you would not actually think, roommates, but people in the same place. You yeah. would think that it would be the people who are too much of a danger, people who, to staff and other inmates would be treated like this. Yeah. But that's not who—that's not who's there. You have Terry Nichols, who was the uh, Oklahoma bomber, right? Yeah. But personally, not a dangerous, particularly dangerous person. As far as a Soviet spy, Robert Hansen. Okay. Uh, Ramsey Youssef. The, that was World Trade Center. Right? Yeah. Okay. I don't know that. Well, so this guy—he's escaped from so many places. Oh. That's how he yeah, got yeah, in, yeah, in, yeah. in right. there. Ted, do, do you know Ms. Uh, Michael Swango? Uh, nickname Doctor? No, I don't know that one. No, uh, Doctor Sarnayev. Yeah, I know he was one of the Boston guys. Yeah. Yes, yes. Uh, this guy, Larry Hoover, uh, is a Chicago gang leader. Okay. I get him because there was a, there was the other. Uh, he's not on here. So an Al Qaeda guy, the shoe bomber. Yeah, yeah. I remember Richard Reed, the shoe bomber, and a, Dwight York, a pedophile and cult leader. Okay. And Eric Rudolph. The Olympic Park bomber. Yeah. yeah it's a lustrous right. bunch, but um, I'm, I just don't... You know what's what makes surprisingly them so missing from this list? No. No women. <laughs> well, clearly, no, no, no equity going on here, is there? It That's should right. be 50% no, women. It should be 50% women, just to make things fair. Yeah. Uh, so, anyway, uh, then he got moved to a medical prison... At age 81 in North Carolina. Okay. And apparently killed himself. All right. Died by suicide in, in, in this prison. I'm guessing it, 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 it couldn't because the because the the pressure of the prison got to him. I mean, He'd already no matter, been in Superman. No matter what yeah. it is, I could see killing yourself within the first year. Yeah. But once you've done 20 years, seems like you've gotten too, pretty used to the routine. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm guessing just failing health and just decided. Sure, and he didn't didn't like the nurse and all that <laughs> yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. So, all right. So Ted uh, lived a, a very strange life and was put away. Good for us, putting him away, getting caught. That was great. And his brother was the one who turned him in. Yeah. Which is which is interesting. Yeah. Um, but why did he do all this stuff? What was he thinking? Yes. Yeah, so let's talk about this manifesto. Yeah. And uh, I, it was longer than it was longer than I thought. I thought it would be like a, 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 a two columns in the New York Times. No, it was pretty long. <laughs> was pretty I long. I read through maybe half of it, mm -hmm. and that was about as much as I could take. Yeah, I think that was that, that was enough because I just wanted to get there's only a few get basic a sense ideas, of it. Only yeah. a few basic ideas you really need to worry about. Yes, and they're 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 basically pretty solid arguments. I think criticisms of what modern society uh, has done to has done to us now right. whether or not you're willing to trade that off for its benefits we'll get into that later okay but so what do you think are the solid points that he's making here so I, what he's saying is what that there's man, people have to have goals and achieve them yes if it comes too easy and he talked about sort of the the 
idle aristocrats, right? You know, then you just become this corrupt reprobate. You know, you don't have anything to work towards. You don't have. Yeah, so he's talking about somebody who has has all the money they need. They have all the food, the shelter, everything else that they need. So they make up something to do, like they get into hunting or they get into. Uh, I don't know, making pottery or something. They they create a goal. That well, that's a, uh, so. The, the, he's, it's it's it, well, it's divided. First off, you you've got people who are just struggling to stay alive. Yeah. All right, back up one more step. Based the the history of mankind up until five minutes ago has been just trying to stay alive. Right. F- food, food, and shelter, and not dying. Yeah. Okay. That's mm-hmm. so. That's how we're physically and mentally geared. Yeah. Then you come along civilization, things are getting a little bit easier, until post-industrial civilization, meeting those very basic needs, in his mind, are too easy. Right. Right? Yeah. So, what I believe that he would consider the sweet spot Mm -hmm. is the frontiersman. Hmm. So, where you are working, all all of your working is on your, your entire day's work. Is keeping your keeping your house together, getting food, making sure that you're ready for the winter, all this other kind of yes. stuff. Yes, yeah, so r- you're keeping always your garden active. going. You're yeah. Always, but you're not on the edge of death. You're doing all right. Yeah, but you know it's but you don't have a lot of time and money, and you're not looking for leisure. You're not, you're not walking around going, "I have this disposable income. Gosh, what can I do with it?" And if you think about the guy. Who has worked all day long with his sons and daughters yeah. in the evening, sitting down at a table that he built in a house that he built, eating the food that he raised? Yeah. I mean, that's a satisfying life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that he's saying, you know, that's that's it. Once you get once you when, when you get beyond that, and yes, that's what happens. Now you start. What did he call that surrogate? Oh, I forgot. I didn't bring my manifesto with me. Uh, yeah, he had another, another word, something, he, like, something, that. something like that. Yeah. So when, now your manufacturing goal is like, uh, okay, I will be the best mountain climber. I will learn. <laughs> yeah. I will. I will collect. The, I will have the greatest Beanie Baby collection. Yeah, and it's be, it becomes silly and stupid. Vacationing, going to Disneyland because I can't think of what to do. I, I don't know how to have fun. I'm going to go somewhere where they have manufactured fun for me. I'll stand in line. And then, uh, you know what I mean? He says, this is all stupid. Now, he did also mention some of the rich who ended up taking on very interesting career paths. Like, for example, there was a... Hirohito. A Hirohito, who became like a world-class molecular biologist or some, something along those lines. Yeah. And so there are... But, but his criticism of that is that it's all made up. It's not... Right. It's not Yeah, necessary. right, right. He's, he's like, yes, there can be beneficial aspects to having a lot of mm-hmm. have to having your your material needs met very easily mm-hmm. and, and you now you have a lot of time and income to do other things but right you're exactly right some of them are admirable but even those and why are manufactured. And, and what's his fundamental reason for saying that those things aren't uh, aren't right or aren't noble or aren't whatever they whatever he expects them to be I know one of the things that was a big theme in the manifesto was autonomy and power. He says people should have uh, power to control their own life 
their own lives, yeah. and they should have a autonomy of decision-making. They shouldn't be controlled by right. some other force. But was there anything else? And that, that's kind of the only, the only thing I saw that he was base, he was hanging everything on those two things, yeah, power and yeah. autonomy. Yes, kind of. Yeah. But so, 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 so compare the frontiersman mm-hmm. to instead he's like, you know, I think I'll just go get a job in a factory mm-hmm. and um, spend, t- which, is, which is the Industrial Revolution, right? Yeah. Industrial Re- Revolution, all right, forget that. I'm going to leave my family. And I'm not going to go somewhere to build shoes. I'm going to go somewhere to just build the heels of shoes. <laughs> right. Right. So you're. I'm going to work. I'm going to be a cog in a machine. A cog in a machine. Yeah. So the, what's what the system does is teach you to do one minor, nearly insignificant thing, well enough uh, that you'll show up, be obedient, do what you're told, mm-hmm. participate in the system. And uh, we'll give you enough money to cover your basic needs, and then some extra stuff for you to go have hobbies and be and be silly. But you won't disrupt the system. Uh, and he's just saying there ain't no way to live. Yeah, well, that's that's his opinion that that's no way to live. And I think the the thing is, if you were to go out to that guy on the frontier, and you know he's been working all day to try to chop down trees and plow a couple acres and all that sort of thing, and you offer him a tractor. He's going to say, sure, I'll take the tractor, <laughs> you know? Yeah, right. I mean, as far as introducing technology, yeah. yes. But he's, he's still autonomous. He still has the power over his own life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that the, which slowly disappears because, <clears throat> right? So there was a time not that long ago when 80% of people were involved in farming and manufacturing. Yes, farming. yes. And now, like, 3% of the population grows all of the food for everyone. Right. So, that's the way the system works. It's like, we're, we'll take that away from you, and we'll replace it with, with, you know, some sugar candies yeah. and MTV. And So, I was thinking about one, one way that the, what the Unabomber was saying resonated with me was, imagine... You, uh, you live at a time where your way of getting around is a horse, all right? So you've got you've to take care of this horse. You've got to make sure it's well-fed and watered. You know, when you come, come home at night, you can't just throw it in the stable. You've got to brush it down. You've got to make sure he's, you know. You, the, the horse is, is something that you actually are going to care about in a, in a very different way than you would care about a car. Right. You know, you don't have any feelings for a car. At least sane people don't have any feelings for a car. But you do have feelings for a horse, you know. It's kind of your friend. You want to take care of it. So there is a way in which industrialized society moves us uh, out of those kinds of natural relationships. Yeah. Natural relationships with with other with animals, with nature. ground, with nature, and and now we have we have a car. Okay, we don't we don't have a relationship with an animal or something to care about. So that side of it, I understand that that kind of resonated with me. It didn't convince but me. All this but all te- <laughs> see a lot of this technology are these energy saving devices. Yeah. So now you don't have to spend all day, you know. So the drudgery of of washing clothes mm-hmm. or whatever it is that the technology makes easier for you. I think he, I think what he would be saying. Uh, Time-saving devices for what? So you can watch more TV? 
So you can, you, you know what I mean? It's like, what is wrong with taking half a day to wash your clothes? Well, there's also the perspective that says that leisure is the, leisure time is where we get culture from. You know, if you don't have leisure time, you can't sit around and figure out how to play the guitar. Yeah, well, yeah, that's, I mean, that's true. There's, but technology isn't, it, it, technology isn't in conflict with culture. So, of course, civilization does that. Civilization allows people to, uh, a society, to have poets and writers who are not plowing the land. You don't have to yes. have everybody plowing the land. You don't have that to have everybody making their own shoes. So there is there is a division of labor, mm -hmm. which is fine. Like I said, you know, the, with the, the shoemaker, I don't, everybody's not making their own shoes, yeah. right? That's where commerce and you do your own thing. But that shoemaker is not in a factory that's the next step where yeah taking his labor and uh turning it into a cog in the machine yeah as opposed to a craftsman right and and i get that whole you know the industrial revolution especially in the in the early days was dehumanizing you, you had somebody it was it's Child, awful all work. the child labor and the oh. dangerous conditions yeah. and the filth and yeah the... everything everything it was it was very very difficult however People moved in from from the country to do that, mm -hmm. you know. So, one of the, there's there's two main things that I criticize about his perspective. One is that he's too reductionist about what it is that's important to people. He wants to reduce it down to power and autonomy. And I think about like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You know, there's there's a lot more needs than just power and autonomy. Uh -huh. You know, there's there's having a sense of purpose. There's having people that you love. There's other things that, that are important to people than just those two things. So I thought that was a little reductionist. And the second thing that was a little reductionist is he wants to say, okay, you'd be better off, you know, working in your own little cobbler place, working all day to make three pairs of shoes where, okay, but nobody makes that choice. In, in the real world, Everybody prefers labor-saving devices. You know, people don't want to spend all day washing clothes and they can just throw things in the washing machine. Right. So in, he's trying to say, I'm going to force my quirky attitude about labor on everybody else, right. you know? Well, I think because... So the, so the result of this mm -hmm. is not to, it's saying... There's no coming back from this. There's no tweaking about around the edges. There's yeah. no dialing it back a little bit. Right, from his We've perspective. We've gone too far, and he's probably right. There, But what he could have done, but this, which isn't very interesting or dramatic, was to say, reading this manifesto, if you stop before you get to the bombing part, mm -hmm. and you go, hey, people, examine your lives. See what see where you fit. Do you want to be the cog? Yeah. Uh, Find beauty in your life. Don't just, you know, collect beanie babies. Uh, right. Right, yeah. right. Monster truck rallies yeah. can't be the center of your life. You know. Yeah. Uh, understand why you're. Understand why, why, what you're doing, and why you're doing it. Yes. I mean, I think. It, I think there's could, a lot. There's a lot could have be, come from this. Yes, and there's a lot to be said. I mean, without okay. going back to 1820. Does technology? alienate us from one another well of course it does you see i have a, see a bunch of people sitting around a table and they're all looking at their phones you know and they're not they're not talking with one another they're looking at their stupid phones so obviously technology from the beginning 
has done a lot of things that alienates us from nature, it alienates us from one another, it alienates us from ourselves in a lot of ways. Yeah. So, yes, those are all legit criticisms. And so let's find a way to try to undo those yeah. mistakes. Yeah. But trying to reduce it all down to everything's about power and autonomy and everybody should live in the woods. <laughs> and, yeah. And you know, the, only way to, the only way to get there is to go back to 1820. Yeah. And the only way to get, the only way to live like that is to have about the same number of people. Yes. So we'd have to have 5 million people in the country. It, well, uh, I, I, so I guess, I guess him killing, trying to kill 23 people is just a start because we've got another 375 million <laughs> that we got to get rid of in order to have this lifestyle that you're, do you think that we'd all be better off having? Yes, I always find that interesting when people say that, you know, the world would be better off if there were only so many millions of people. Like, what are you talking about? You, you what are you going to do with all these people? Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. How come, how come none of the people who advocate for that ever volunteer to kill themselves? Yeah, or, yes, exactly. <laughs> you know, we'll start with you. How about that? And maybe one less person. That's right. But I, I, got, I, I thought, uh, I, I thought, you know, in, a, in thinking about the pioneer guy, yeah, life—how much different life is from 1850 to 1950? Sure. Right, so, because you could go like 1450 to 1650. If you went to a time machine, yeah, you'd be like, I don't know, it's not that much different. We changed from from matchlocks to flintlocks. You know? <laughs> yeah, right. You'd mostly see it on the battlefield, yeah. and otherwise, I don't know. Everything's about uh, the same. Yeah, and, yeah. Then, and then as you backed up those those rapid changes would become even less so. Yes. So there is something about the rapid change. Yes. But I thought in terms of the rapid change, well, what about what about the man in 1850 and the man in 1950 who cut themselves while farming and it gets infected? Exactly. The man in 1950 gets antibiotics and the man in 1850 gets a bone saw. Yes, yeah. Yeah, this so, whole you thing... know, there's a few things that you could just go, I get what you're saying about this whole back to nature thing, but you can't pick and go, you can't say, oh, no, no, I mean, I want these good things of technology, but not these, there's, it's just a thing. Yeah, I, I, and that's, so two comments about that. One, you're absolutely right that the, the guy in 1850, he sure wished he had antibiotics, <laughs> just like just like the poor farmer in in. Yeah. Africa today with his to, traditional farming techniques yes that Al Gore is trying to force him to stay in he'd be perfectly happy to have a gas-powered tractor I tell you yeah. so so there's there's that side of it and then the, there's the question of um, you know fine let's figure out what are the things that we're missing and let's try to incorporate those yeah. back into our lives yeah. in, in yeah. the life that we actually have but trying to throw out all these good things that we have yeah. because We've missed something. Oh, that's not the right approach. Yeah, I mean, I think stripping down, you know, starting with uh, your storage room and your garage, you could probably simplify your life. And we could all simplify our lives yeah. in, for, for, in a good way without living in a 10 by 12 foot <laughs> Or spend cabin. more, yeah, spend more time talking it, to our family. I mean, there's all there's kinds of things in that nature, we could, yeah. Yes, so the recognition of what technology is. Do you, do you remember the book of Future Shock? No. So the future shock, it was like uh, probably late 70s. Mm -hmm. And it was basically the same idea. Mm -hmm. like, like, uh, sort of if you, if you drew a graph of, how, of technology yeah. and it just spikes. Sure. And then now it's even spiking and it's, it's going even faster. Yes. And the argument being, look, we're not really built for this. Mm 
that we're technology is moving we were always been able to keep up with the very slow change of technology and it's kind of making us crazy yes now but of course this guy did, <laughs> didn't come to the conclusion of so we need to burn it all down <laughs> he was just sort of pointing it out like let's look understand that some of our crazy is self-induced yes this is where it's coming from yes how can we mitigate the crazy without getting rid of antibiotics and air travel? Right, exactly. You know, like, for example, Ben Shapiro talks about things like, it really would be better if people were in, like, bowling leagues. And so, you know, if, there were, yeah. if there were local things that people were involved in, if people were, had some participation in civic life rather than sitting at home, everybody being isolated in their own little yeah. little thing. So, yes, there are lots of criticisms about what technological society has done to us, but the answer isn't to try to live without antibiotics. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. In the, especially in the early part of the 20th century, civic organizations mm -hmm. were, were extremely important. Yes. And people were into the Moose Lodge and the, yes. you know, all of those and kind the, of, and the, the Rotary things, Club and exactly. Freemasons and, the, and all the that. The important thing about all that, well, one important thing about all that kind of stuff is you're on your bowling league or you're in the Rotary Club or you're in the Knights of Columbus or whatever yeah. the heck it is, and with all sorts of different kinds of people. And yeah. they, some Making of, connections. Yeah, some some of them are Democrats, some of them are Republicans. Yeah. Some of them, they, they have all these different ideas. And you go, you're fine, but we're all still in the same group together. And you make these connections yeah. where now we've become so, <laughs> yeah. uh, so, so narrow. You know, you only get along with somebody who agrees with you on all these political points and everything else. Yes. So, as I was as I was seeing his argument, I'm going, "You're talking about life in the in the '70s through the '90s, mm -hmm. boy. If you were around now, <laughs> if you think it's if you thought it was bad at 1990, yeah, uh, you didn't you didn't see you, you were this is before computers, this right. is before the internet, this yeah. is before social media and cell phones. Right. If you think it was bad then, yeah." I got something to show you. Right, which is why a lot of people go back and read this and say, "Wow, wasn't it prescient and wasn't uh -huh. it insightful?" And there are is some insightful stuff in, in what he's saying. Uh, I just don't like his solutions or his uh, uh, yeah. obviously burning his... everything down. So when I think about technology and, mo and modernity, modern living, all, yeah. you know, all, all of that, you go, uh, "Well, now we have pesticides." and uh, preservatives and potential carcinogens and we foul the air, we eat unhealthy food of processed sugars and empty carbohydrates, da, 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 da. And I, I think, yeah, and we can also feed the whole world. <laughs> exactly. about three, right? So right. is the biggest problem we have too much accessible and inexpensive food? Yeah. You, would you rather, in, in the name of getting rid of that, uh, and, and oh, oh! I forgot to mention the extra thirty years of life expectancy. Right. So, in order to so that we don't die of cancer at eighty, we'll get rid of all of the technology so we can die at forty-five. Yeah, I remember reading an article a little while ago, arguing that the McDouble, the, the burger at yeah. McDonald's, is like the pinnacle of technological society. <laughs> <laughs> that, that you can that for a buck, you can you can get this sandwich, <laughs> like. Kings couldn't. Have, yeah, right. You know? That's funny. Yeah, be right. And did you see the? Did you see the guy that? Uh, uh, what was the? Supersize me. 
Oh yeah. So, right. So after this guy goes on and goes, I'm I'm going to show you what happens if you eat McDonald's every meal for a month, and now oh, he's, he's so sick. And then a nutritionist professor goes. Yeah, if you stuff your face with it. <laughs> right, exactly. So he ate nothing but McDonald's for a month, and all of his numbers got better because he still he stuck to a 3,000-calorie diet. There you go. Diet. Exactly. I've so, wondered about that. Yeah, he, he was like, he says, no. Every, Just eat responsibly. Yes, everything <laughs> that, you, that your body needs, you can find on a McDonald's menu. Right. And so it's not McDonald's. It's the fact that you ate like a pig. Right. Because it, the, his point should have been, you know, the excessive portions that people yes. are shoving in their faces. But yes. he tried to make it about unhealthy McDonald's fast food, and this nutritionist professor is like, well, I mean, that's not exactly how it works. Well, think about what a McDonald's meal was like back in the early days of McDonald's. It was a hamburger, a Coke, and fries. The little, the little <laughs> hamburger, the little Coke, and the little fries. It's really not that much food. It's not that much food. Nowadays, people get, you know, a double quarter pounder and a milkshake... <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's just everything it's a bit is supersized. Yeah, mediums are. Yeah, yeah. and now there are places. Oh, actually, even Starbucks, you can't order a small. No, there's no such thing as a small. Well, you, I can't, don't think, even, you can't get a cup of coffee anywhere. A cup you of have coffee to get a is eight tall, ounces. Yeah, it's first of all, it's got to be a tall. Can I just get a small cup of black coffee? We don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> right. I like this. I like those little mini. I don't drink soda hardly ever. Right. But when I do, like if I need a little bit of caffeine, I'll get one of those little eight ounce cokes. That's perfect for me. Yeah. You know, you know, they they come in like a eight the little tiny. Yeah. The little you know, tiny cans. <laughs> yeah. That's. I love those. I mean, that for the for the three times a, a year that right. I drink a coke, that's uh, that's what it's going to be. All right. So it's it's interesting stuff. Interesting fellow, a genius guy. I mean, despite he's an evil genius, but he's a genius. Yeah. And you know, it's not a bad idea to read some of it just to get, get a sense of. It's recognizing that you know that that there is such thing as a there is this there is a system that feeds itself. There's actually it sounds like uh, Foucault if if Foucault was legible. If you could get through one, if he would just dial it down to so that some normal person could read it. Yeah. A lot of it is kind of like this about how there's, you know, there, there's this system that controls people. Yes. And, you know, gives you just enough freedom so that you can participate in the machine. Yeah. It's you funny know. you should bring that up. And here's why it's funny you should bring uh, that up. Because yeah. that's one of the questions that I asked ChatGPT was what's the difference? Both, both uh, Kaczynski and postmodernism yeah. view power as a fundamental uh, problem, you yeah. know that, that they they both deal with power. So I was asking ChatGPT what's similar and what's different between Kaczynski and postmodernism. It was very interesting because Kaczynski was viewing power in a in a relatively traditional sense as its technological industrial society that is the source of power, where Foucault and the postmodernists see power. In like everything, in, in all individual kind, relationships, yeah, in, in every kind of thing, in the way we use words, and in all these other different ways. So, so I thought that was that was pretty interesting. Both both with too much of a focus on power, but in different ways. Interesting. Yeah. You know the the Churchill quote: uh, "Democracy is the worst form of government, <laughs> except for all the others." Yes. Yeah, I think of I think you could you could Marxism. Marx spent all of his time criticizing capitalism and offered very little. Yeah. To, to, to replace it, I would say, yes, uh, capitalism is the worst economic system, except for all the others. Yeah. And I think you could apply it to Kaczynski. 
Modernity is the worst time to be alive, except for pre-modernity. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right? yes. I don't want to go I'm to sorry, a... sorry, it's terrible. Yes, it's terrible. But it's less terrible. Yes, I do not want to go to a dentist in 1850. <laughs> <laughs> I don't... Okay, so let's get down to what this is really all about. Yes. Oh, I forgot about the, his personality and his psychology. Yes. The psychology aspect. So first off, the genius part means... He already had a difficult time making friends. Yes. And now he's a 14-year-old hanging out with 16-year-olds. Yeah. It's all right. So he's already re kind of rejected by this. He's the brainiac. Yeah. He's a little he's going to be small. Right. He's So he got he got that going for but let's back up to his infancy. Yeah. Do you remember that incident there? He he has something that they oh, take oh, him to they, the they hospital. They take him to the hospital and he was stuck in the hospital for a month or something and then afterwards he was never the same. They wouldn't so he had zero contact with any human being during the Wow. Why the, would you do the, that to a kid? They wouldn't let the parents come see them. Wow. See him? It, it wasn't that long, but it does. It still seems like a very long time for a, a, an infant, yeah. or one-year-old, two-year-old, not to be picked up and held by, I by heard about this. I heard about this experiment where some, some king wanted to find out what language children would naturally speak just on their own. Like if, if you didn't teach them to speak German or whatever, what language would they speak? Because he assumed that that would be like the original human language. So he had this whole collection of kids raised. See, where, that's what you could do really solid science. I know, yeah. So he had this whole collection of kids raised where no one spoke to them. Right, great. And they, they wanted to find out, like they didn't, they didn't have any real contact with anybody. They wanted to find out what language they spoke. The problem with the experiment was all the kids died. <laughs> that is a problem. <laughs> yeah. So it reminds me of Kaczynski's experience, uh -huh. sticking him in this environment where he's not being held, he's not being touched, he's not yeah. being spoken to. No, there's no human yeah. interaction. He, he, re he rejected that, well, of course, because I'm sure he wants to say that nothing influenced his... Yeah, of course. Uh, nothing except pure intellect. Pure intellect. Yeah. Uh, but they, they, it was the... His mother told... The brother David later on in life, with great reluctance, yeah. uh, that he never quite seemed the same. That uh -huh. he that that little baby that spark yeah. of cuddliness, he was distrustful. Mm. Uh, wow, what so, an awful thing to do yeah. to a kid. So yeah. so you so you're you're you know you're super in, you're super intelligent, which means you kind of can't relate to the other kids anyway. Right. You have this personality defect that may or may not have come from this childhood experience. Yeah. You go to Harvard where you're too young, and then he engages in that Harvard experiment. Right. Which which had to do with it was a, like a CIA thing yes. where they were trying to break you down. Yes. They were they were trying to uh, get break down all your defenses so that they could then like force you into something or influence you in a certain right. way. Right. I and guess they would use what they've that, what they've learned in their interrogation techniques yes. or some such thing. And it had to do with belittling and berating yes. you intellectually. And that's so his he didn't have friends. He wasn't an athlete. He didn't have girlfriends. He didn't, the only thing he had was his intellect that yes. made him special. And this was specifically designed to belittle any uh, thought the, and the his weird, intellectual ideas. And the weird thing about it was, uh. this kind of gets back to this power and autonomy thing, is that he stuck with that program through several years. Like, yeah. he, he didn't and, just... And, and didn't again, just and again did not look back on that with, with any disdain. Quite a lot of... Well, quite a lack of self-reflection. Uh, I would think. This guy. Yeah. Yeah. And so he... 
Never got past first base. There's the old... Uh, right. You know, there's that aspect of it. Beh Never behind, had any love. Behind every crazy man is no woman. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Yes. I don't know. <laughs> right. just made that up. Right. Behind, yeah, that's pretty good, though. I like it. Behind, <laughs> right. Behind every suicide bomber is probably also... Is no woman. <laughs> yes. So, not having that... Uh, so, then he... After all of this manifesto, he says, oh, I'm not, I wasn't doing this out of any altruistic intent yeah. or to achieve any good, whatever that is. It was pure revenge. <laughs> so, so, so after you've written this entire manifesto on this philosophically based... You admit that you're just a rotten person. You're, yes, you're, yeah. you're just a misanthrope right. that hates humanity. Right. Yeah, which I think is behind a, a lot of, a lot of these ideas, these change the world ideas. I think a lot of them really come down to just kind of being nasty minded. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Or right, or the the cult leader that has this perfect system. Right. Of, yeah. he, he just really wants to have sex with all the women. Or, or, <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or be revered and yes. yeah. has a personality defect. Yeah. All right. So, Mr. Krasinski, uh, uh, well, you are not our man of the week. No, you're not our man of the week. And I had a, had a reader question, but it's getting kind of late. So <laughs> it I'll, is. I'll hold that one. Ted really, he really kept our attention. Didn't yes, he? he did. Yes. All right. Well, so, very good. All right. Cheers.